All right, who loves a summer barbecue as much as I do? Listen, if you want to impress everyone with some super yummy dishes, you need ButcherBox in your life. ButcherBox is my go-to subscription box that delivers high-quality meat and seafood to your door with free shipping always. And I'm talking high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. We are saving so much money every month with ButcherBox over going to the grocery store and buying meat and seafood and saving a lot of time. But get this, last month we saved nearly $200. I also love that ButcherBox curates these tips and recipes that are based on your box so you know what to cook. I made the most amazing steak with a basil sauce the other night. And oh, let me tell you, my friends all raved at how amazing it tasted. I'm definitely going to be pulling that recipe out. If you want great meat and seafood in your life, you need ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com etm and use code etm at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com etm and use code etm. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. So the biggest breakthrough to make the transition from a six-figure entrepreneur to a seven-figure entrepreneur, a six-figure entrepreneur is all about chasing sales and landing contracts. A seven-figure entrepreneur understands that that level of growth and sustaining that level of growth isn't about chasing contracts or hunting down sales. It's about building an ecosystem where that level of revenue is a natural production of the ecosystem that you've built. It's a totally different way of thinking about business growth. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Compton-Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. Only 2% of female entrepreneurs make more than a million dollars. Um, that is a staggering statistic that has to change. My guess is if you're listening to this episode, you are intrigued by the idea of looking at your bank account and seeing those seven fingers hanging out. 
I am right there with you. That sounds like one happy day to me. Our guest, Eleanor Beaton, is the founder of a company called Sapphire Media, an education and coaching company for women entrepreneurs and host of the Power Plus Presence Plus Position podcast. And Eleanor, she is on this mission, I love this, to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past a million dollars in revenue by 2030. I really like the sounds of that. So how do you get there? Well, in this episode, Eleanor shares how to make the leap from six figures to the illustrious seven figures, how to reframe your idea of wealth, and why as women, making money truly is power. The hairs on my arms are still standing up from this conversation. No matter which gender you may identify with, you're going to learn a lot from our brilliant guest, Eleanor Beaton, on this powerful episode. I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money. So thrilled to bring you this episode. Here we go. Eleanor, I am so, so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. It is such a pleasure to be here to talk about money, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> it's Everyone has that love-hate relationship with money, right? Some people love it. Some people hate it. There's a polarity with it. Totally, totally. Well, I, I was reading your bio, kind of prepping for our conversation, and I, I just have to ask, so, okay, you descended from the eldest brother of the last king of Fiji. Yes, very interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> tell me a little bit about this and like how did this how did this all play into like your 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 role in life? Yeah. Well, so the last king of Fiji was this guy named Dakambao. And in the Fiji Islands, the way that it works is that you would have these sort of chiefly families, and yes, very patriarchal um, as it was back in the day, but you'd have these chiefly families, and in from that chiefly family. Um, the, the second oldest brother was the king and the oldest brother, that guy's role was to be the advisor to the king. And I always wow. thought this was so brilliant, right? Because the big thing with being a leader is that it's lonely For sure. sometimes. And so they kind of had that built into the fabric. Yeah. So my family comes from that oldest brother. And it's so interesting because when I look back over my career, my life, um, I feel like I've always been in this sort of advisor role to other leaders. Interesting. Interesting. So are there any uh, interesting, like, uh, is, the, is the right word Fijian? Fijian yep, cultures? Fijian. Yes, yeah. Fijian. Yeah. Are there any interesting, like, Fijian cultures around money? Oh, yes. So in fact, well, this is kind of interesting. So on my dad's side, um, my on my dad's side, my uh, grandfather, my paternal grandfather, he was a monetary economist and professor. And he wrote a book called The History of Money. This was published in like 1995 at the time um, when it was published among kind of the sort of nerdy, you know, um, fiscal economists and that kind of thing who were uh, in the know. They called it one of the best books that was published that year. And it was so neat because on it, he, in honor of my mom, who was Fijian, he put um, he put a whale's tooth. And so in Fiji, um, whale's teeth were considered currency. And so, um, you know, the number of whale's teeth that you had sort of dictated wealth. But interestingly, in that culture, there's this big culture of something called kara kara, which is that, you know, like if I came over to your house, Shanna, and I, and I said, oh, Shanna, that's a beautiful bracelet, um, you'd probably feel obligated to give it to me. 
So sharing material possessions is huge. And growing up when we would go, you know, I was, my mom was constantly giving my things <laughs> to my cousins and stuff. <laughs> I just didn't, and they were giving me things. I just didn't understand it. So there's this sense, I guess, of the fluidity, the temporal nature of possessions, that nothing that we own is actually ours. Wow. We should have that custom, I think, in the US. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's all like, no, I'm not sharing. This is mine. <laughs> exactly. I worked for this. I earned this. I, you know, it's mine. Yeah. It's just a different, a di totally different way of, of looking at things for sure. And then you also shared that your mom, she gave up this teaching career to to stay at home, raise a family. And of course that made her then financially dependent upon your your dad. My mom had sort of the the same sort of story where she was the stay-at-home mom and and it was the dad, you know, who went out when he was the breadwinner. And it's the same sort of I don't want to say it's like a, I don't know, the patriarchal system, but it was just like kind of what they knew to do at that time. But you know, your your mom told you that money is power and that you always need to make your own money. So I'm wondering how that that sort of money story has shaped where you are now and what you do. Mm. You know, it's been both incredibly helpful and also has been um, somewhat limiting. So here's what I mean by that. It was seeing my mom, this incredible, you know, sort of capable, smart woman, um, and see how in some ways her power, her practical power was diminished because she wasn't making her own money, even inside a marriage that was by all, you know, by many standards, very healthy. My parents, um, you know, had a good, healthy relationship until my father passed away. But there was this undercurrent of power dynamics because she didn't make her own. And so I was just so incredibly determined. Like I did not want anybody to have power over me. And I never wanted to be in the situation in which I saw her. So, you know, saw that she could, you know, would be like, having to have a budget and not really being able to make decisions that she wanted to make. So for instance, she wanted to um, invest. Um, she wanted to take money and invest, um, you know, at, you okay. know, through the course of her life. And, and my dad was much, you know, was less into investing. And so she just didn't have that opportunity. So for me, it looked like I never allowed, uh, any guys to pay for dates. Like I was always like, no, I'll pay, I'll pay for me. I'll pay for me. I paid for all of my dates. I, um, was, you know, really, it was always really important to me to work and make my own money. That stuff was always really important. As I have continued though, I found that that sort of fierce independence, sometimes it makes me a little too hands-on with things. And that, you know, as I've grown, I've started to see, you no know, other people can be a part of it. I don't have to always be working for the money. I can allow money to work for me. Yeah. And kind of thinking about that, I'm curious your thoughts on how do we embrace the power of money, the power of making money? And, and speaking specifically for our female listeners, without being total controlled by money is is there a way to find that that balance in there yeah this is so like this is so fascinating to me so part of the work that I do too, you know, so I do a lot of work with female founders, but I also sit on, um, you know, boards of venture capital organizations. I do a lot of work, you know, and consulting work through my business with 
you know, nonprofits and government agencies that are really looking to figure out how do we get more female founders, you know, into the business ecosystem. And what's so interesting is that what we're finding is that, yeah, women have less access to capital. Um, We're not asking, when we do ask for investors to come into our business, we're asking later. So there is this sense of, I don't want to say we're risk averse, but there's this sense of carefulness with money that we have as women that I think, um, you know, uh, that is this sense of control and that it could be very beneficial for us as women to look at, at more, less just the cash and more the flow and that mm-hmm. money is actually a tool to empower ends. It's not just something we hoard. It's a tool that can, that flows and that can empower greater impact. I mean, this is sort of, I don't know, a head scratcher question that we could probably spend a lot of time on, but what do you think, or how do you think the world in general would look if there was a more kind of equitable balance between female male leaders? Oh my gosh. So this is huge. And I'll tell you a story. So before I did the work that I do today, I had this communications consultancy. And what I did was I would, you know, I basically was a communications advisor and consultant to leaders. So politicians, um, you know, men and women who are leading like billion dollar companies. So when you're at that level, you're often fielding questions like, do you want to write a book? Um, You know, can you come and do this speech? And so what they want is that ability to just create some cohesive messaging and kind of support to help them get their story out. So I did a lot of this type of work. And I can remember I was, and because of that, I would uh, learn a lot about how these leaders were using money. And I can remember, you know, one of the most successful, accomplished women business leaders I ever worked with. And we were touring around her hometown and we're going from one place to the other. And I realized that she, over years, has been quietly giving you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to um, organizations, to museums, to nonprofit organizations, just really, really using her money to advance the people around her. And because I had this view and this, these sort of personal connections to the leaders, what I saw anecdotally is that the women were um, disproportionately giving. Right. They were giving sooner and they were disproportionately giving. Um, and that was my experience. I don't have other data to back that up, but it's so funny because on the venture capital side, we take later. <laughs> so it looks what? like we give earlier and take later. And so I think that if you look at, it, I think that is, you know, is that potentially something that we could see, potentially a more equitable uh, equitable distribution. And it's not like, you know, giving to any old charity, but it's really giving to organizations that could, um, that we're going to use that money in, um, in a smart way. So to me, what inspired me so much about that, I was like, that's wealth. Yeah. Like, I would love to generate wealth to be able to do what I see her doing. That's a big reason for me. And also not to have to like splash it all over the place to just be doing it behind the scenes and and in her own way of kind of changing society, I think is really cool. It's so cool. And, you know, at the time I was earlier in my career and so didn't have the means that I, ha- you know, you just, as if, if things go well, every year you have a 
more means, <laughs> you know, so this right, is right. earlier in my, yeah, earlier in my career. And I remember thinking, oh man, if I had her amount, if I had the money that she had, I would be dressed head to toe in Armani. I would have this, I would have that. Like this is, this is kind of what I thought. And so I had these goals, these like financial goals set for myself and, um, and they were at the time distant. And so I had to work really hard to get there. And it was so interesting because I found when I reached those initial level financial goals that I had for myself, I really saw how I wasn't necessarily happier. Um, I had pretty much everything that I wanted. And so for me, my relationship with like material things, it shifted and it, it really wasn't as important. I started to understand why she was using her money the way that she was. I started to get some insight. Now, uh, look, I still don't have as much as she has, but <laughs> or she had, but um, you know, I started to get a small taste of what it's like, you know, um, when your desire to make an impact is greater than your desire for possession. So talking about impact, I know you're on this mission to double the number of women entrepreneurs in particular who can scale a business past one million dollars in revenue, and you want to do this by twenty thirty, which yeah, very we got close. it. <laughs> we but, got it. And know, we've got about two hundred thousand female founders. We need to we need to get over that point. So yeah, that's I've got my work cut out for me. So uh, I, I think we've we've already kind of talked about a few of the parameters, but why are women entrepreneurs hitting the wall and, and not being able to get past this million dollar mark? So. In some ways, it's because of the types of businesses that we're starting. A lot of us will uh, start uh, service-based businesses, which are notoriously harder to scale. If you look at where the big wealth is being generated on the entrepreneurial side, it is being generated by technology companies. So these are companies where the founders are starting proprietary technology that is developed in-house that can be scaled internationally you know? Mm. And so that's a very different type of business. And, you know, I, because of the consulting work that I do, I would be in these rooms where I'd be talking to these founders and these venture capital people. And I would tell them about my business, which was a very typical business started by women, a service-based business. And they would kind of write me off as what they called a lifestyle business. And I would get so furious, you know, I was like, this is not a lifestyle business. Like I have employees We're we're not, you know, we're, we're stable, we're growing, we pay our taxes, all of this kind of thing. But that's where I think it's one of the reasons it's like, number one, we're starting businesses that are seen as unscalable. And so in, in a service type of business, you know, it, what really traps the founder is that we're typically trading dollars for hours and we're typically doing a lot of contract based work that's super complex, um, and therefore very difficult to scale. And so what has to happen is that you have to stop looking at contracts and start looking at scalable offers, you know, um, and how you scale the delivery of a service based business while maintaining quality and not doing the work yourself. So this is not easy to do. And I would say it's every bit as difficult as developing a piece of technology or developing a piece of software. Like we don't look at it in the same way, but it is every bit as tricky. So I think that's one way, you know, the types of businesses that we start and really understanding and valuing how challenging it is, how much attention it takes, you know, and, and the investment that the founder has to make to make the business strong enough to grow and scale. 
So that's part of it, you know, a big part. So what would be some examples then of uh, like creating a, a, a scalable business? Yeah. So I can remember and I'll give you, so the, the ones that some, that, you know, I think people who are listening would be very familiar with would be things like, okay, can you, can you take your knowledge and turn it into a course, you know, or a program or something like that. And so that's one thing that as the online education industry has grown, that becomes something that, you know, I, I think more and more p- people are familiar with, but, you know, a couple years ago, I was growing my company and we took a big leap and realized, okay, we need a different level of accounting help. Like I had kind of had bookkeepers and stuff and people to help ensure I was compliant with taxes and all of that. But I didn't really have somebody who could help me think strategically about getting the business set up properly from an accounting perspective. So I go in, we book a meeting, we go in to see the guy, he's great. And so his name was Jim. And so in the meeting, I'm like, Jim, you know, because I'm kind of falling asleep thinking about as he's kind of talking about tax structure. So basically, I did this to keep myself entertained, but it was super valuable. I'm like, Jim, tell me what is the difference between when you think about all of your entrepreneur clients, especially the service-based ones, what is the difference between the richest and the poorest? This is how I put it. It was, you know, <laughs> what's the difference between the ones who really have money and the ones who don't? And so, of course, the ones who really had money were the ones who were able to sell their businesses. And he said, here's the difference. Those people, they saw themselves, the core business was professional development internally. Like Mm. they saw themselves primarily not as the doers, but as creating this company that was really good at teaching its employees to do to deliver the service it you know it offered and that really stuck with it with me it was such an astute answer and i think it really showed me how business owners like how entrepreneurs whether you're a consultant you know an hr consultant or whatever you're doing or a hairdresser or you have a salon or brick and mortar it's not just the thing you sell and deliver but it's how good are you at training other people to do that? And so it was really, really powerful. Um, you know, so that, you know, what that means as far as an example goes, when you get really good at training, now you're able to have other people do what you do to the same standard of quality. You know, so that's basically you become, well, I don't know if this is the best example, but you kind of become the McDonald's of your industry. So tell me, what are your money goals that you have for this year? Maybe you're like me and endlessly looking for a house to buy and you're focused on saving for a down payment or you're drooling over traveling somewhere tropical this year and you want to save to pay for it, or you're ready to leave your job and build your own business. So you're going to need some startup funds. Whatever your goals are this year, Monarch can help you reach them. In fact, the Wall Street Journal named Monarch the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. What I love about Monarch is its simple and easy customizable design, so the dashboard can look exactly the way you want it to. I'm also a big fan of creating custom budgets for things like travel. It's one of my favorite money tips. 
And Monarch lets you do this so easily. This is such a great way to stay motivated when you've got a lot of money goals. You can easily track your progress with every dollar that you save or spend. Remember, your brain loves to see progress and you should celebrate it when you're saving money. And honestly, I am so focused on privacy, so I really admire that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties. This means a lot to me and it should mean a lot to you as well. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of the show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The host, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away, and back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, that's certainly been one of my weak points is being able to to train people uh, to think the way I think. But I know that that is the breakthrough point because then you're able to step into a different role, step into more of a visionary role and uh, let other people play to their strengths, I think. Totally. And you know, because it's so interesting, like, so you and I, we do our thing. And a lot of times we start these businesses based on this incredible skill set that we have. And so we're unconscious competence, you know, like we're just so good at something we don't even realize. And so teaching requires us to take a step backwards to conscious competence. You know, like when you first learn to drive and you're still like, now I can drive somewhere and I'll totally forget the whole experience of driving. Like I just know my body knows exactly what to do, unconscious competence. But when I was 16 years old, driving on my own for the first time, it was like, First, put the key in the ignition, turn to the left. Then, you know, like it was conscious competence. So this teaching requires that we take the step back, which means that we need to, you know, exert more patience, which I don't know about you, but I mean, I got into business because I was impatient. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So thinking about this idea of becoming a seven figure entrepreneur, are there, you know, this is obviously a big question that's kind of looming out there, especially for women. 
do we have to give up something to get to this place? Like, is there is there exchange that happens or is there a way to become this seven-figure entrepreneur and still have life balance, wh- whatever word we want to plug in there? Yeah, we do. There are things that we need to give up, but they're the different they're different than what we thought, you know. Um in the first iteration of my business, I thought that I needed to grind. I thought that I needed to give up my weekends. I thought I really equated um my ability to create value with uh time spent at my desk. You know, so I worked really, really hard. My whole business was set up that way. Um, I didn't have boundaries with clients. Um, I was consciously, constantly um, saying yes to whatever it was that they wanted, not charging effectively. So when I realized the things that I needed to give up um, were, were sort of three core things. So the first thing that I needed to give up was everything but my most lucrative clients, right? And so for any business, you know, that whole sort of 80-20 rule, but, you know, inside every business, there is a category of clients who are easy to work with. They uh, pay your company really well. Um, What they pay you for is actually easy and a joy to deliver. And, um, you know, when I looked at my client base, about 35% of my clients were them. And 65% were others who were not as valuable. As humans, they were fantastic, but to the business, they weren't as valuable. So I realized I did this big ballsy move where I basically eliminated 65% of my clientele overnight. Like I'd had it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was the year actually that, um, that well, that was that basically was a year where I saw a huge leap in growth and that just sort of um, really preceded my leap to seven figures. So the number one thing to let go of is your least valuable clients. Everybody, I would say, but the, those top value clients. So that's the first thing to let go of. The second thing I think to let go of is it's related to that and it's the need to be all things to all people. Hmm, so, yeah. you know, just that ability to be like, here's what we do in this business. Here's our specialty. And to allow that to be enough. Um, that was difficult for me because I I really um, had trained myself that my value was really about um, being whatever the client needed me to be, to pull out the stops, you know? And so I was doing a lot of different things under this, under, you know, the umbrella of my service. And you know, I had to allow myself to get really focused and to allow that to be enough and to allow them to go to others for these other things, you know? So that again, yeah. brought a huge focus, but it was very scary, really scary. Yeah, that is really scary to say, this is what I do and this is what I do well. This is my zone and yes. everything else is somebody else. <laughs> right? It's huge. And then I guess the final thing is to allow, um, I had to allow myself and, you know, listeners will probably find this. You have to allow yourself to let go of the need to do everything. And that some of the most important investments, like to really be able to grow, um, you actually need more than enough support because Mm -hmm. to be able to be creative and actually drive growth and create the ecosystem that can produce the kind of revenue that you want you really need to have help because if you don't have the right level of help, what happens is that growth becomes painful. 
So if you find yourself not responding to sales quickly, um, you know, getting very stressed out about the volume of customers or that kind of thing, all of that is a sign. You know, what happens is you'll start to avoid growing because growing creates more headaches. And the solution to that isn't to stop growing unnecessarily. I think the solution to that is to make sure that you have the help that you need to manage the growth that you have. And so that's the third category of thing I think you need to let go of. It's a different type of sacrifice. It's a different type of discernment, you know? Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, And it it breaks sort of the old school, what you have to let go of uh, kind of model, right? So you're stepping into this this new way of thinking about it. And kind of along those lines, I would imagine that as someone gets close to that that scaling beyond a million dollar mark, or even gets close to that mark, Maybe some old money stories or blockages kind of come up. Is there anything common that you see people kind of get stuck in the muck in when they're reaching that point? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many. You know what I mean? And I think that a lot of them have to do with, like for myself, you know, uh, I know that for me, and, and I don't think this is unusual, um, I started to experience the feeling like when I was growing up, we were suspicious, a little bit suspicious of wealthy people. Right. <laughs> like there was just yes. this underlying, like, there you must know. be something not right going on here. <laughs> exactly. There, there's something suspicious here. Um, either they were suspicious or they were overly fancy, you know? So they were yeah, like right. both of these. Yeah. There's just this sort of general suspicion. And so, you know, I think as you start to become more successful, that, you know, the fear of betrayal, the fear of people judging you, the fear of um, allowing yourself to be seen in a state of relative success. And, you know, listen, we're, we've all been there when, you know, I, I know that listening to this, it's like, it sounds like this like privileged thing and that you're the star of your own um after school miniseries. But that's how that's how drama works. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's that's how drama and your inner saboteurs uh work. Everybody's thinking about me. Everybody is so obsessed with me. But those those are some of the things like the fear of betrayal, um, the fear of judgment, those things can be uh can definitely come up. The thing the another fear is that uh when is the other shoe gonna drop? Yes, that's mine. That's the right? terrible one that just plays oh. in my head all day long. I'm like, really? Where is this even coming from? Exactly, you know. And and it's funny because until you've been there, until you until you know, like I know exactly what you're talking about. You know what it's like? It's like there's this deep in your gut. It's like there's this radar, and the radar is like ba boom. Right. You know what I mean? It's like scanning, scanning. When is it so that you're prepared? Waiting for like an email that comes through and says like the whole thing is just blowing up or something. I mean, it could be the tiniest thing. And I'm like, why am I anxious over this? This is nothing. Right? I know. It's like, I feel you. And, you know, it's just such a joy actually to talk about it. I think it's, you can look at it like misery loves company, um, but it's not like that, right? That's it's, it's more like it's such a joy just to hear somebody else have that. And then you can laugh about it and it puts our own sort of inner saboteurs or these inner money stories um, into just kind of a, a, a more empathetic light. That's why I am so passionate about 
talking about money on this show, right? It's not just like, here are the five steps that you need to do with your money, but it's these conversations because my hope, I mean, I've done over 750 episodes and I'm still a student of every every guest who has been on the show because we we get caught in ourselves. We get caught in our inner monologues. And even though we might know, quote unquote, what to do or not to do with our money, it's still, it's a very tricky landscape. So I think having these conversations, it's for me, hopefully we all realize that, hey, we're all, we're all really alike in this. You know what makes life more fun? Having your money situation solved. I mean, how great would that be? I want to introduce you to the Stacking Benjamin Show, a podcast that I am a big fan of that delivers exactly what you want most when you listen to money podcasts, less preaching and more genuine money talk. Do you want to learn how to build wealth and manage your money? Well, the Stacking Benjamin Show has you covered with practical advice and expert insights on personal finance. Their headline segments keep you up to date with the latest lessons to be learned from the news, and their TikTok minute shines a light on just how bizarre money advice can be online sometimes. The Stacking Benjamin Show was just named the best personal finance podcast by Bankrate. Here's what they said about it. Unlike other competitors hitting the airwaves, the team doesn't tote Stacking Benjamins as the be-all, end-all for lessons on money. Instead, they share a broad range of concepts and resources to create a more comprehensive financial foundation for their listeners. And listen, they have a lot of fun on their show. Even I have been a guest from time to time, and I always go away with a big smile on my face. So if you're looking to find a companion podcast that goes great with this show, tune into Stacking Benjamins. Find them on all major podcast platforms, including where you're listening to us right now. Your wallet will thank you. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Well, and you know what's so interesting? When I think about my grandfather's book that I was telling you about, you know, and on the cover of it were all these totems that different societies had used for money. 
you know, so there were cowrie mm-hmm. shells, whale's teeth, um, you know, all of that different kind of stuff. And no matter what the currency is, money for as long as time, whatever, whether it was coins, crypto, whatever, it represents this outer change in status. And that outer change in status, if it comes before you've had this inner discernment, you know, or inner shift in status, it opens up this separation. And that's the thing, right? Like, you know, wow, things are going well. I have a lot more money than I used to have. And that's happening externally. But internally, have I made the shift yet? to be, to be the woman who is capable of having all of this. And that is the part, like the, the Delta between external reality and internal reality. That's where I think to me, that's where all of the richness comes like that, that development work that we do. I have, I don't know about you, but I've always found like it's been a wonderful thing to work to work on the business to to develop my ability to build wealth but to me more important than the money like that's important of course but has been the woman i've become in the process i love her i love what she knows you know what i mean all the good stuff and the not so good stuff it's all it's all there together <laughs> exactly i'll accept all of her well, you also host a podcast, uh, Power, Presence, and Position. Three very strong P words. <laughs> what are? Tell me a little bit about the show. Like, what are some of your your favorite episodes? Yeah, so probably my very favorite episode was my, um, you know, speaking of money, was an episode that I did with Barbara Corcoran. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, she was fantastic, hilarious, personable. You know, just. I just had this strong impression of an entrepreneur and very an investor and TV celebrity who just has created a life that she truly loves, you know. Um, that's been one of my favorite episodes. Um, and interviewing, you know, clients and female founders that I've had the chance to work with have been amazing. I mean, the show is really all about practical insight for female founders. And so we're really talking about how, you know, the, the practical realities of, of building a seven figure business and, you know, inspiring stories from women who have done it or on their way to it. That's what the show's all about. So cool. I love it. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap it up maybe with a little bit of a bow here. We've talked about so many things, but what do you think ultimately we need to remember about what it takes to to break that threshold and become a seven-figure entrepreneur? Ooh, oh my gosh. I love it. So I would say um, it's about making the shift from a hunter to a farmer. Mm, Okay. All right. Tell tell us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a hunter type entrepreneur is somebody who kind of gets out there, makes some sales. It's like you're you're out there, you kill something, you drag it back to the cave to provide for the family. (laughs) You know, like, so you're going out, you're doing projects, you're doing sales. Everything is very short term and relatively opportunistic. The farmer mentality, and and the thing is that that can work, but it can be quite exhausting. And and that's you know my very first business was very much like that. A farmer mentality is somebody who decides this is going to be. They look at their business not as a buffalo hunting expedition, but more as an orchard. So I'm going to plant the seeds. I'm going to cultivate the seeds. I'm going to put in and you know um, a 
hydration uh, system. I'm going to fertilize the soil. I'm going to carefully tend these trees and then I'm going to harvest. So it's that switch to more focus. Um, it's that, that switch to fertilizing, carefully pruning, caring for it, and then reaping much bigger rewards in the long term. I think that's the big shift that I think is so important to make. I love it. Well, Eleanor, this has been so fantastic. I'm sure you've inspired so many listeners. I'd love for you to tell everyone where they could go to connect with you if they want to work with you and also where they can go to find your podcast. Thank you so much, Shanna. It's just a privilege to be on this show, 700 and whatever episodes. Like It's incredible. <laughs> I, I have I have like 480. You're literally one of the few people who's who I've ever met who has double. I am inspired. Like I bow down. That's that that is commitment. So very impressive. Um, so you can go to eleanorbeaton.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram at Eleanor Beaton. Those are all really great places to go to connect. And the podcast is called Power Presence Position. You can find that on all the big podcast platforms. Um, you know, would love to hear from you and what you got out of the that out of our conversation today. Wow, what an amazing episode. One of my biggest takeaways was when Eleanor shared the idea that money represents this outer change. But if the outer change comes before the inner change, we have a serious problem. Again, back to the reason why money success is 90% a mental game. I don't know about you, but as a woman, I am ready to go out and claim those seven figures. Are you with me? Listen, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or family member, someone who you know also wants to kick butt in business. You can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guests and the sponsors who make this podcast possible. I will see you right back here in a few days for a brand new episode. Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review. And make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode. Rakuten helps you be a smarter shopper and save money on just about everything. People all have things they need to buy, whether it's home essentials or a self-care treat just for you. With Rakuten, you get cash back on clothes, groceries, travel, and much, much more. Even better, you can stack cash back on top of other deals like store sales and credit card points. In case you're wondering, the stores on Rakuten are the ones you know and love, and lots of cool ones waiting to be discovered, including Target, Lowe's, and Nike. When it comes to savvy shopping and saving money, Rakuten is a no-brainer. It's free and easy to join. Just go to Rakuten.com now or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.